Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. Our hope is that this message will share that gospel, truth, and love in a way that will bless you, enrich you, and better equip you as a disciple. From the book of Jude, I'm going to read verses 1 and then 20 through 23. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us, for loving us, and keeping us. Father, I pray that you will please help us to live lives that bear witness to the truth we know. That we are called by you. And that we are loved by you. God, it is so easy for us to either question that love or take that love for granted. And I pray that we will do neither. Father, I pray that you will help us to be a people who who give your love away at every opportunity, sharing it with a world that desperately needs to hear it. God, empower us to do that today. Speak, Father, for your children are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, we started a series called Called, Loved, and Kept. And we're looking at the book of Jude, and we're obviously starting from this first uh, verse of Jude where he describes these believers as called, loved, and kept. And last week, we talked about what it meant to be called, what it meant to have, thank you, Kenny, what it meant to have at our core identity, God's purpose and plan for our life. And what has happened here for the believers that Jude is talking to is that there have been false teachers who have worked their way in to this community of believers there that Jude is writing to, and, and they've infested the church, and they've misled believers. And so now Jude tells them, I need you to contend for the faith. Once again, when they contend for the faith, it's not because they love fighting. It's because they love God, they love Jesus, and they love others. Okay, it's worth noting that linguistically what happens in Jude is that Jude in Jude 1 defines what it means to be called with those other two words. That to be loved and kept is what it means to be called. And so we talked about being called by God last week. 
Today I want to study what it means to be loved by God in the middle of a world that is eating away at our faith. What does it mean to be loved by God? And why, why do those things matter? Bishop Desmond Tutu was once criticized, once criticized, he's been criticized a lot. And one of his main opponents said to him, you know, you know, what, you know what it is, Desmond, is you teach too often about love when what we really need is a more prophetic message than that that will decry the powers that be and the way that they are abusing and harming people. We need you to use your voice to really strike something that'll be, strike a note that'll, that'll declare a difference. And instead you're talking about love. And he was asked, how long do you plan to continue preaching about love? And his answer was, well, I plan to continue saying it until you believe it that God loves you because he recognized that one of the most prophetic things that we can tell this world is that God loves you and if we keep saying it until they believe it it's going to make the changes happen in the way that we treat people, in the way that we decide things ought to be, in the way that we organize ourselves. All of that grows and stems from this idea of being loved. They didn't really understand the transformative power of love. Especially when your faith is under fire. Jude gets it. Jude is telling them contend for the faith. And in these 25 verses, he's going to refer to them as the loved ones of God five times. He's going to talk about the, 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 the false teachers that have crept in. If you, if you can read more about it, it's basically verses 3 through, I don't know, 19. Um, and and he has a lot to say about them. But then he turns in verse 20 and says, but you, beloved. And the NIV says, dear friends. But it's the same word that he's used at the beginning when he said they were loved. It's the same word that he used again in subsequent verses when he says they're beloved of God. And now he says it again. But you, beloved of God. He keeps reminding them that in spite of everything that's going on around them, they are loved by God. And apparently he believes that makes a difference. And I think we ought to understand that as well. And I think maybe this is a great time to hear the message of Jude. Because it seems that falling away, walking away, drifting away, is becoming more and more common. And some of that, I think, can be laid at the feet, attributed to sinfulness and the power of the flesh the persuasiveness of the world but I also think that some of that can be laid at uh, the feet of church leaders and moral failures as well as unhealthy and oppressive churches and church cultures that seem to live on punching downward. 
think that makes people want to leave? Makes it easy. I think sadly, a lot of it is the result of chasing numbers and false definitions of success that lead to churches soft-selling discipleship as if it's something that is comfortable. I think it leads to churches trading substantive biblical teaching for flashing, for flashy crowd-pleasing pizzazz. That instead of handing you the light of the world, I become a fireworks salesman. Just trying to impress you. And especially increasingly in unhealthy, reductive theologies that ask for nothing from hearers. Besides usually anger. I think those things help people walk away. In other words, I think that very often the church is responsible for starving people who are hungry for the gospel. People who need the gospel because, and and, and when we do that, because what we offer has little meaning, they feel like their presence here has little meaning. It's meaningless. And so they leave. I don't want that to be what we do. I don't want that to be who we are. I don't want that kind of, I don't want someone to look at Rochester and say that's the kind of church it is. And so today I want you to hear the meat of the gospel and I want you to feast. And Jude 20 through 23 provides some incredible instruction on how to stand strong as the beloved of God when others may fall. And and, and it's all rooted in what it means to be God's loved people. And some of the phrasing here is not mine, it's not original. I don't do a lot that's original. I'm not incredibly original. A lot of people have accused me of having like four sermons and I just kind of mix them up. I tell different stories, and, and, but I really only have four sermons. And I think that's pretty true, although I think it's three. Um, but, but y'all can, if you want to make a subcategory, I'm fine. But I, I'm borrowing some phrasing actually from Skip Heitzig, who I don't always love what he does, but that, that's okay. I'm learning. Uh, either way. But I want to talk to you about these five things. And the first one, the slide beat me to it, is, is to keep building your faith. Okay, if you look at verse 20, what he said was, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the spirit. Okay, but building yourselves up. In, so the first step is that you need to keep building your faith. You see, anything left to itself Tends towards entropy. Okay, Dan, take your house for instance. (laughs) Now, those of you who know, Dan's house has been going through some troubles for the last, I don't know, year and a half. Um, It seems like the construction company thought that what Dan wanted was to come in and tear out his floor 
and put in a porta john in his driveway. That that's what he was asking them to do. That's really what we want. I want that's the change we were looking for. Thank you for that. No, Dan's house had a flooding problem and has been under construction now for almost six. Well, under construction for almost six months. So I'm messing with Dan a little bit talking about his house. But your house will tend towards entropy, right? You don't do anything to it. Pretty soon, it's still going to need a roof. You don't do anything to it. It's still going to need paint. You don't, it, just, it just tends to break down and you have to take care of things. Your house does this and most things require regular maintenance. Guess what? So does your soul. Your spiritual life needs regular maintenance. You need to keep building your faith. Okay, build yourself up. Don't simply drift. Second Peter chapter 1 sounds very similar to Jude, by the way. But in particular, it expands on this in verses 5 through 8. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. To goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want your spiritual resume to include the words ineffective and unproductive? I don't. And so what he's saying is you need to keep building your faith and you need, there are practices that you're going to need to grow. There, there are habits you're going to need to form and some of those will begin to shape you into the kind of disciple that God has called you to be so that you're more and more bearing faithful fruit. All right, keep building your faith. Did you know that growth as a disciple is not directly linked to age. I'm, 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 I'm shooting straight with you. And so I need you to ask yourself, right now, am I growing as a disciple or am I just getting older? All right, because I know spiritual giants who are young. And I know spiritual babies who are in their 70s been going to church the whole time are you building up your faith because it's not simply a matter of getting older it's a matter of growing don't settle for spiritual junk food don't starve yourself spiritually because you're addicted to junk food are you a part of a life group that studies together and prays together regularly If you're thinking you may want to grow and you may want to learn and you want, I want to be a better disciple, don't, this is the easy one. Don't miss opportunities like being a part of a life group because that's what it's, it, that's what it's about. That's how we grow and nurture the relationships and the experiences that are going to provide that kind of building up. Do you stay after our worship gathering and learn in a Bible class? If you don't take advantage of that opportunity and then you find yourself feeling like I just don't know very much about the Bible, that, some of that's on you. Do you come and fellowship and share testimony and study together with your brothers and sisters on Wednesday nights? 
How often are you taking advantage of the opportunity to grow as a disciple? Or do you think it's just going to happen by osmosis if I'm around other people? Second thing, he says in that same verse, keep praying with fervor. He says, I want you praying in the Holy Spirit. And at the core of this practice of praying is communicating with God. Okay, reading the Bible and praying is a continuous cycle of of communication with God. Okay, in some ways, and and don't press the metaphor too far. um, In some ways, reading God's word is me taking in what God is saying and praying is me expressing myself to God. Okay, so it's the listening and the speaking. Now, I said don't press it too far because a lot of prayer is actually listening as well. I understand that. But, but do you understand the cycle of communication where there's me sharing and then there's me taking in what God is saying? And, 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 and it's sort of put, one of the ways that I've heard it put that I really liked is if I'm all study and no prayer, I'm light without heat. And if I'm all prayer and no study, then I'm heat without light. Matthew Henry said that the prayer is the nurse of faith. Prayer is submission to the will of God. And as soon as I thought about that, prayer is submission to the will of God, I thought to myself, no wonder I resist it. Because I don't like submitting. But I can tell you this, as I've matured as a believer, it has become the center and the anchor of my faith. And I can, I can tell you this, and, and I know different strokes for different folks and all of that. I get it. And everyone has different spiritual gifts, but I can tell you this. If your prayer life is weak, then your faith is struggling. Prayer is a wonderful barometer for the strength of, and sincerity of your faith. And you say, but it's hard. I know a lot of the best things in life are hard to do. Stick with it. The good news is you're not graded on it. You're not graded on it on how well you sound, how smooth it flows, how how, how good you are, but you need it. The purpose of prayer, according to Jesus is not to get my will done in heaven, to change God's mind, but to get God's will done on earth. Okay, that's what he prayed. And this is why the Spirit has to help us when we pray. He says, pray in the Spirit. That's why the Spirit has to help us to curb our own selfishness and to help us submit to God. I want to tell you about Billy Sunday. Now, Billy Sunday was a Major League Baseball player turned revivalist in every sense of the word. And he was always a little bit goofy. But Billy Sunday preached the gospel to a lot of people. He's one of the most famous evangelists in America's history. And he's got the name for it, right? Billy Sunday. 
he was taught by a mentor this famous advice. He said, William, here are three simple rules to practice. If you do these, no one will ever write backslider after your name. You'll never, you won't be the one falling away. Take 15 minutes a day to let God talk to you. 15 minutes to talk to God and 15 minutes telling others about your Savior. He said, he said this was the, and he dedicated his life to living this. 15 minutes talking to God, 15 minutes letting God talk to me, and 15 minutes telling someone else about the Savior. That that became the practice and rhythm of his life because he needed this constant communication. And he became one of the most incredible evangelists in this nation's history. The third thing I want to talk about that, he, that, that Jude encourages the beloved of God to do, he says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. And so keep living in favor. What does it mean to keep myself in the love of God? Now, here's what Jude is not saying. Keep yourself saved. God saved you and God will keep you. That kept lesson, we're getting to it next week. Okay, God, God's, God's grace has always been the thing that saves us, holds us, keeps us. Jude is not even saying keep yourself in a place where God can love you. I, people will come to me and they'll start to lament and, and groan and complain or f be frustrated with themselves and, the, and their own failings. And they say, Adam, I just don't know how God can love me. And I think to myself, notice I said think to myself, Julie, I don't say this out loud, but I want to. Well, don't ask me. I have no idea how God loves you either. Because I have no idea how God loves me. I know me and I can't explain it. But, but God does love me. I'm, I'm one of God's favorites. All right? God loves me and I can't explain how. And, 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 but I'm so thankful that God does. Jude is telling these people. So it's not a matter of keeping yourself in a position where God can love you. God always loves you. Amen. You need never doubt whether or not God can love you. There is nothing you could do that would ever change the way God feels about you. God loves you. Jude is not telling them to stay where God can love them. Jude is telling them to stay in a place where they can experience and enjoy God's love for them on a regular basis. You're not, God's love is a constant. My experience of it is not. My enjoyment of it is not. You see, you can be in the sunlight and neither be experiencing nor enjoying the sun. All right, some folks, they put on a hat. They put on a visor. Some even take an umbrella to the beach. 
No judgment here. I get it. I, hey, wear your sunscreen, right? But you can be in the sun, but not experiencing or enjoying the sun. Imagine if they did that and then started to complain that they missed the feel of the sun on their skin. You would look at them and be like, well, that's because you're being dumb. <laughs> like you can't block it and then complain that you don't feel it. Like you're responsible for what you're missing out on. You would tell them you need to remove the obstructions that you've put in place so that you can enjoy what's been there the whole time. Around the table of the Last Supper, among those seated with Jesus, were two disciples. On one side is John, and on the other side is Judas. Both of them were in the love of Jesus. But they responded very differently. John leaned in. Literally. He's the one in the paintings that's always snuggling up. Okay, John likes to cuddle. Jesus is like, okay, close enough. We're good. Love you, buddy. John enjoyed the love of Jesus. He begins to talk about himself as... The one that Jesus loved. I'm one of his favorites. Judas, though, he didn't enjoy it. Judas resented that Jesus didn't do things Judas's way. Judas resented that Jesus didn't do things the way that Judas liked them done. So he removed himself from that meal. You read it. He was so frustrated he left. And it was at that meal that Jesus told them, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. Remain in my love. The fourth thing that's said uh, is to keep expecting the future. Jude says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep expecting the future. All right, that Jude is speaking of looking forward to the return of Christ and to our eternal glory. The early church had this saying. They would say Maranatha, which meant Lord Jesus return quickly. They look forward to this victory. How does it make you feel to hear someone say, you know, Jesus is returning soon? Yeah. Amen. All right, some of us are like, yes, let's bring it on. I've done enough time here. <laughs> this is, their days are the same, um, you know. But like, but like others, when we hear that, we think, oh, I don't know. Every creed in the history of the church emphasizes the return of Jesus. 
And it is amazing to me that the current church can seem so blasé and disinterested about what was for most of the church throughout history a point of victorious hope. Do you live in expectation that God will fulfill God's promises? Jude refers to the waiting on on the future of God, waiting on Jesus' return as a mercy. God's patience is merciful. Amen? It is not punishment or abandonment for us to wait on God and to wait with eager expectation. And beyond that, living in hope, well, it helps keep us pure. Let me, let me explain what I mean. If I, if, I, if I honestly believe that Christ could return before I finish this sermon, and it's going to be quick because I'm almost done. No amens. But if I honestly believe that before we say amen, Christ could return, does that change the way I live? I'm going to guess that it does. And I'm probably going to live a more pure life than I would otherwise. You see, living in expectation will change my purity, the way I live. All right, last one is keep reaching the faithless. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Help those who have fallen away, who have wandered away, who have turned away, who have drifted away. Help them. Do not write them off. I'm going to tell you a really important truth. I've been, I've been preaching now for 25 years. Here's something I've learned. Someone's current no is not a permanent no. I have seen God change hearts in miraculous ways. People I never thought would come back to God have come back to God. I have seen God take someone who says, I will never set foot in a church building. And I have seen them turn into an elder in the church. No. (laughs) Virginia said, tell that story. I don't have enough time. I know some of y'all are mindful of that. And so I want to respect you. I have watched God change people's no's into yeses. Do not take someone's current no as a permanent no and write them off. It's not falling into water that drowns you. Riley, it's laying in it and staying there. If Paul's conversion teaches us anything is that those who pose the greatest menace to the church often become the greatest mission of the church I think of James chapter 5 and verses 19 to 20 he says my brothers and sisters if any of if, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back 
Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You see, some people wander away. And we gently help them find their way back. And some folks dig in their heels and resist God's pull. And we warn them more sternly. Your house is on fire, you need to get out. And what we do depends on the condition of that person's heart, on their attitude. The way that we respond, we don't have one response. We have countless responses, but we never give up. Consider Jesus. He actively denounced the Pharisees in some pretty stern terms. He called them whitewashed graves. Told them they would go halfway across the earth just to make someone twice the son of hell that they were. That's not kind. None about, nothing about that was a positive review. They weren't like, but at least we go. Like, like, like there was nothing in that that was admirable. And yet, when you read the Gospels, is Jesus in a Pharisee's house? At a Pharisee's table? Eating with the Pharisees? Walking with the Pharisees? Talking with the Pharisees? He spent time with them. Their current no he would not accept as a permanent no. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And he came to believe in Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea was a Pharisee. Kenny, I want you to go ahead and bring your team up. Maybe Maybe you feel like you've wandered away from the one who loves you. Maybe you've broken up with God. Or you're pretty sure the relationship's about to be over. My prayer is that you won't let your current no be a permanent no. I want you to hear this gospel. You are still loved. You are still chosen. And you are still called by God. That you are called back to Christ and will be received. Maybe you've not yet surrendered to Jesus. Maybe you've not yet, you you don't yet know God's goodness in your life because you haven't submitted your life to him in the waters of baptism. I want you to hear this gospel. You are loved. You are chosen. You are invited into Christ who will help you stand even when everything else around you is falling apart. You are loved by God. And God longs for you to know it and God will never stop showing you that you are loved by God. Let's stand and let's worship God together. Heavenly Father, 
I pray that this message has been a blessing to those listening. I pray that you would continue to work in our lives in ways that are evident and easily seen. Most of all, I pray thank you for loving us and choosing us. We don't deserve it, but you are so good and so faithful and so true. We thank you for your spirit and your son. May we grow in them to your glory, Father. In Christ's holy name, amen.